Welcome to the Difference Makers podcast presented by Waterproof. I'm your host, Justin Tamani. In this podcast, you'll hear from some of the top coaches, brand managers, and athletes on earth. From starting out to where they are now, we'll explore the journey of how they became a Difference Maker. Before we keep going, do us a favor, hit the subscribe button on your favorite podcast platform to hear more from the Difference Makers. Wadproof Bionic is a revolutionary mobile technology to measure and improve your mobility, flexibility, and range of motion. After completing a series of mobility tests, Bionic has everything needed to build the daily sessions tailored to your body. Bionic will help you perform and recover faster than ever. Ready to become Bionic? Download the Wadproof app now. All right, we are live. Guys, this is the Difference Makers podcast. My name is Justin Tamani. I'll be your host today. Today we have with us Michelle Latond. Yes. Did I get it? I, it's <laughs> I I always mess up names and I'm trying not to. And if you've ever watched one of these or listened to one of these, like I'm doing my best. But, I, you did great. <laughs> Michelle's a five-time CrossFit Games athlete and the six. Did I mess it up? Six oh, times. I'm sorry. Six-time no, okay. CrossFit Games athlete. 2011 is a forgotten year. Man. Thought I did my research properly. Okay, <laughs> I messed it up. And the the leader of the Deca Comp crew, the the head coach and uh, leader behind Deca Comp. So Michelle, thank you, <laughs> thank you for joining. Thank you for having me. So, talk to me about that transition quickly from CrossFit Games athlete. You you were with Deca, but the Deca gym. Yes, and then started Deca comp after you retired and you started to take on some elite athletes yes. at that time, right? Right. So, um, I knew that in 20, so my last year was 2016, but I mm-hmm. knew that in 2015 that I was going to stop in 2016. Initially I was going to stop in 2015, but I decided to give it another go. And in that year was kind of the year where Deca comp was kind of born where I was kind of thinking about where I wanted to go. Uh, I didn't want to leave CrossFit. Um, I didn't want to leave the competition scene specifically. I, funny enough, like um, in 2015, um, we uh, we had the Invitational, right? CrossFit used to have the Invitational, yeah. where they would invite the top athletes at the games uh, based on their country and their geographical location, and we would all compete on a team and one year I was the coach and it just uh, woke something up in me that I realized that I really wanted to sit in that seat. And um, so once I got the taste of what it was to be a coach in a high competition level, I just knew that that was the right role for me. You know, as an athlete, uh, I had talent, I had work ethic, but I knew that I wasn't going to go much further in my career. I was tired. I was kind of broken down a little bit. I was looking to do something new and different. So I just, you know, everything just kind of ended on the right note that I felt like I had found what I was my next step. So when I was competing in 2016, I was just kind of building up the idea of what DECA comp would be. Um, But I have to, I have to thank the ex-owner of Deca Gym for that because he believed in that project more than I did. 
you know, he once said to me that I would be doing this full time one day. And I was, I laughed in his face and I was like, yeah, right. And, um, was that while you're still competing or was that like after it was, it was, yeah, it was like while I was kind of still competing and I was, we were starting to think about it. And then the first year of me coaching was 26, 2017, the season of 2017. Okay. That was the year that he told me that you'll see it's going to get big enough that you're going to be doing this full time. Because at that time I was, you know, I was coaching at the gym and I was writing programming and, you know, I was enjoying it. And um, Patrick had decided to kind of entrust me with his 2017 season. And to be honest, that was really intimidating. But um, then it just kind of like organically became my career. So that's how I transitioned. I was already over the athlete thing and I had already planned the coaching thing. And basically for personal reasons to bridge the cap, the gap a little bit, because I was well aware that there could have been a, you know, post-competition depression and there could have been a moment of questioning. Um, Like it's a real thing with athletes. So to kind of mitigate that personally, I decided to enroll in Olympic weightlifting. So I had my personal competition in a different sport and then I invested myself professionally as a coach. So I think I set up those, those pieces for myself quite well, that the transition was really easy. It seems like you put a lot of thought into that transition. It wasn't like just a, an abrupt thing, but more opportunistic. Yeah. Um, when my coach and when my Olympic weightlifting coach kind of talked to me about the fact that my lifts were national level and I can get like some, I can get the elite status in Quebec mm-hmm. and that would help me financially. I was like, well, it's kind of a no brainer. And then I felt like it was a good opportunity to also keep my competition, my competitive outlet. Um, so it, it was thought out. Like I knew I had to prepare a transition, but the Olympic weightlifting component was kind of like a happy surprise. Have you ever thought about like some of the CrossFitters and some of the numbers they're putting up and how that compares, especially on the women's side? The women weightlifters are female weightlifters are very strong, but the weight category kind of trumps it a little bit. Yeah. But, but I have to say that, um, like, if we look at Maude Charon, who was a, a he, she was a CrossFit competitor before she turned a gold medalist Olympic weightlifter <laughs> yeah. at the Olympics. Yeah. You can tell that the women have a lot of potential to transfer over into weightlifting. But it's yeah. not the women. Like, just recently, um, uh, what's his name from Hustle? Craig uh, Ritchie. Yeah, he just medaled as well in the national tournament in a national meet. So I think Olympic weightlifters are really, really good at lifting weights. And I have to say that diving into the world of Olympic weightlifting and seeing the systems that are used to train athletes there. um, I think that good coaches in Olympic weightlifting should kind of look at what the CrossFit athletes are doing and, and see how they can change their training a little bit because the, the amount of just sheer like volume of strength work that is varied could really help um, mentally the Olympic weightlifting athletes, but also physically, you know? So there are a lot of overused things in Olympic weightlifting that I think could be avoided if people did a little bit more CrossFit style, not CrossFit, CrossFit yeah. 
style workouts. And I was lucky enough that I had an Olympic lifting coach that was like super on top of it. And he, he made sure that CrossFit was still part of my training so that I can stay kind of like normal and not just always lifting. I think when I made that little bit of a transition as well to weightlifting that I had the same thing where I'm like, I got to do some sort of CrossFit or something, you know, like I wasn't just snatch, clean and jerk squat to prepare. I was still building in some of the things I would normally do. Yeah. And even like just the timeframes of like doing EMOMs and things like that. And I use that to, like I said, keep me sane and and not be so monotonous in the gym. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, Olympic weightlifting is, is it's a beautiful, beautiful sport because it's, it just, to me, the Olympic weightlifters we see on those national, on those international platforms, Mm -hmm. they represent the epitome of being patient. Like yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't be anything else because you're doing the same thing all the time. So there has to be, there, there's a level of perfection and focus and like the, like it's really something, it's really something the same way. I like I'm, I'm into triathlon now and I'm watching a lot of Ironman triathletes and trying to understand how they train and um, their level of mental fortitude is just, Cause CrossFit's like an easy sport to train in because you're constantly varied, you yeah. know, functional movements. You're just always fed with different things. Part of the difficulty of the sport of CrossFit is that there's so much, but that's also part of the fun. And then when you're doing things like Olympic weightlifting or like marathon running or like Ironman distance triathlon, you're literally focusing all your time and efforts on like two lifts or three disciplines or one discipline. Like it's something else. Yeah. It's you're right. And that's, I think why so many people are drawn to that, the idea of CrossFit and just even just going to the gym, it's because of that constant change. Yeah. It's so important. (laughs) You get addicted to it though. You Oh, totally do. I've had a lot of athletes that I coach that are like, yeah, I want to try Olympic weightlifting and they can't do more than like an eight to 12 week cycle because they're just like, I, I can't come to the gym every day and just do these three to you know, it's not just three things, but it's primarily no, that. But yeah, it's it's very hard. I found it. I didn't enjoy, you know, I did enjoy the training at first because when I was done competing in CrossFit, I was just enjoying the fact that I can do whatever I wanted. So yeah. that was really fun. But um, what I didn't enjoy about Olympic lifting was the competing. I loved competing in CrossFit um, and I loved training in CrossFit, but the competing in Olympic weightlifting is just not for me. It's very different. And then, especially if you have to factor in like weight cutting and things like that. So hard. Like so hard. I missed weight on one of my first meets, but I, I was down enough where like I was literally skipping with three jackets on in the hallway to sweat it out. And I may or may not have had to weigh in pretty much naked, (laughs) but Um, I made weight. You made the weight. I made the weight, but I was like, running around like an idiot for like How an hour were you after oh the next time i went up a weight class and i was three kilos under mm. so i was like yeah it wasn't it's the hard. weight yeah. weight sports is is hard yeah <laughs> especially coming from crossfit where you can just kind of do whatever you want yeah yeah that's it's like but i think like everything in life you know there are pros and there are cons and Unfortunately, Olympic weightlifting, the, the, the weight cutting thing was just like, 
it, 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 I can see how people can fall into eating disorders with that kind of sport and ex- exposing to that, like the, the strategies for weight cuts, like it can get really unhealthy. It's like yeah. the dark side of the sport. So it's it, like, I, I would never, I was like, I'm not like, I wasn't planning on making, my goal was to make worlds and I never made it, but I wasn't mm-hmm. going to starve myself to do it. In fact, I did do a special diet to maintain calories, but cut weight, but I had some uh, side effects. Yeah. So I was like, I'm never going to do this again. No. And then where was it easy to maintain training at that level and potentially like kind of doing a new sport for yourself while at that same time taking on somebody like Patrick Vellner, who is you know, um, a very high performing athlete. Yeah. But Patrick has always been remote. Yeah. So Patrick's, I mean, in terms of time, it's really more time on the computer and like texting and calling and stuff like that. So I had time to, um, I had time to do my training, but, but, um, I definitely didn't take it that seriously. And if I did, I guess I wouldn't have been able to take on coaching as seriously as I did. So I wouldn't be able to compete at a high level and coach as well. Like people ask me all the time if I would ever go back to master's athlete and they forget that I coach like I coach three, you know, three athletes of high level. One of them is a potential games athletes and two already are. Plus I have the business to run and I literally would compete at the same time as my athletes. Like it's not reasonable, but let's just say theoretically yeah. that, uh, that I could compete at something high level while I was coaching. Um, I don't think it would be a possibility. No, I don't think I would enjoy training and I don't think I would enjoy coaching. So doing right now, the, the triathlon thing is just a perfect fit because it's outside of my work. It's not CrossFit. It's CrossFit E. I can still mm-hmm. do CrossFit, um, but it's outside of my realm of work where I can just kind of turn off my brain and do it for fun, but still do good because it's a new sport. So I'm still PRing, I'm still progressing, I'm learning. Um, and whatever I'm learning in my triathlon, I can really bring it to my athletes in terms of training the same way I did with Olympic weightlifting. So I do the sport for myself, but I, I also have a little window that I open for ideas and, and like new things that I want to try and stuff like that. So, but to answer your question, no, I don't think (laughs) I could be able to, to do uh, the, the high level competing and coaching. It doesn't work. Yeah. With, with some of the things that you've brought over from triathlon, do you find that, um, or have you been able to implement it for long enough so that you can see the results from your athletes yet? Or is it something yeah. that you're starting to build in? Yeah, we talked about this after Wadapalooza, I think. I think so. Um, <laughs> uh, the, the uh, you know, I've done a lot of things. Like I used to swim when I was young. And there was a way that our coaches, and I played water polo, and there was a way that our coaches build swimming that was, very, very clear. It was like a pyramid. We swam like crazy when we, at the beginning of the season, and then we played more. That's like general sport. It's the way it works. Yeah. Then I did some Olympic weightlifting here and there, and I saw how they prepared. And, uh, but one of the key things about triathlon is that they dose volume and peaking kind of differently. And 
it's it all it kind of does full circle because I researched a lot on conjugate system as well. And it all comes down to the 80-20 idea. And so in triathlon and specifically endurance sports, not only triathlon, but they work 80% volume and 20% intensity, more or less, depending on where we are in the season and stuff. And so when I was doing it, I figured, man, this is such a good idea because in conjugate, it kind of works like that. And that avoids like linear progressions. Mm-hmm. They have this idea of constant volume versus intensity, which can avoid some some cycles and some time off and this and that. So I, I just decided to give it a shot last year with Pat. Um, and I've always tried things with Pat. Pat's always been great. Like I literally tell him at the beginning of the year, I'm like, Pat, I have an idea for your training this year. Like, do you, do you want to try it? You know, and he's always really open to that. So we decided to try the 80, 20, um, for the 2021 games this past summer. Yeah. And so I think that Pat, pulled up really well. I mean, he's aging, but his intensity was still very high. Um, he was dealing with a little bit of nagging injuries here or there, but nothing crazy like most athletes like me when I was competing and whatever. But the the mental capacity for him to actually do the work is much, much better. Like yeah. on low intensity days, it takes a lot of pressure off of his shoulders and he just does the work the way it's written Um in a zone two, zone three. And it's just, it's just, he really likes it. So because yeah. he really likes it, I think that he can, he navigates the training really well. And I also put Ellie on that. And um, for Ellie, it was more like pulling her back. For Pat, I basically gave him a little bit more volume, but explained to him the volume is not going to be super crazy intense. Yeah. There's only two days, you know, that you're really going to be expected to go intense. But the rest is just about accumulating reps, getting your tendons and, and muscles ready for high intensity. And for Ellie, it was kind of the opposite, where the high volume days were what she was used to. But I had to ask her to, to kind of go a little bit slower so that when she was doing the higher intensity days, um, they were really focused and prepared for. So it turned out really well. I think um, everyone was really ready. Um, there, I've done a couple of tweaks here and there to kind of avoid too much, too much contrast. Mm-hmm. So on the from the high intensity to the low intensity days, sometimes there was a, a tad too much contrast. And what that means is that the athletes on the high intensity days didn't feel like they can push, like they weren't warmed up for that kind of intensity. Yeah. So I, I've balanced it out. So it maybe it's going to be like a 75, 25 now, but that's the idea now since doing endurance sports, um, that's the biggest lesson I've learned to kind of manage intensity levels and also increase work capacity. So it's been great, like um, no adverse effects so far. And I'm looking forward to see how that um, we're going to see Freya maybe qualify for her first games. And if she makes it with that system, it's going to be the, the winning system. <laughs> I'm saying you're giving away all the secrets right now. Hey man, it's free. Uh, how do you say that? Uh, what's that word that it's open source? Yeah. yeah okay. Yeah. Uh, it, no, it definitely is. And I mean, when we talked about this after Wadapalooza, I, I mean, I, I spend a little bit of time with Pat. I get to see him actually train. I probably see him train more than you get to see him that train. Is true. That is very true. And, um, yeah, I've seen his like volume days. I've seen his intensity days. And it really made me think about how I approach coaching and how I approach programming for my athletes. Yeah, 
it's, you know, it's scary for the athletes. I think a lot of athletes, and I've had this discussion, especially with, with Ellie and Freya, and it's very scary for them to slow down on purpose. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I get it. But ha- if, if I were to do my career again, I think that if my coach told me that, like, hey, we're going to do some days where it's really just about – it's a CrossFit workout – there's like 150 reps of everything, but you just got to go slow and get the work done. I think I would have had a uh, easier, I would have had less strain on myself. Like those intensity days when you're tired, they get to you. Yeah. So doing the high volume stuff, you can kind of, you, you don't get in your head so much. You're not, you're not getting into this, this whirlwind of negative emotion because it's going slow is part of the process. So I kind of wish I would have had that experience. Mm-hmm. And I do it now, like when I do the triathlon stuff, most of my training is pretty easy in the intense days. Like I feel it, I, I give it everything I have and I'm tired the next day, but I'm not completely wrecked the way I used to be. I did a workout the other last week and I went in with this mentality. It was like something along long lines of 75 wall balls, 50 toes to bar, 75 wall balls yeah. just for time. But I haven't done wall balls in three months because of my knee. Oh Yeah. And that's 150 wall balls. And that to me is like a daunting number, especially because I haven't done them. Yeah. But I was like, I just went with that approach. I'm like, I'm just going to break it up. I'm going to move through it. You know, the stuff I could push on, I pushed on. And I was like, mentally leaving that workout now and the way I approached it versus four years ago when I was competing. Yeah. I left that in very, very different state. I was in a much better mental state. And I also had, you know, I would have put pressure on myself to perform and to win the workout or beat the class, like whatever it was. And like, I still put up a time that I probably would have been better on um, than when I was competing just yeah. simply because of the approach and the calmness yeah. to it. Yeah. And it made a big difference. It, it does. And if I were to give any piece of advice to anyone listening that has a, let's say a movement weakness, not, not a systems weakness, not so much a strength weakness, Although it does work, but but when you have a specific movement weakness, the best way to practice it is low intensity, just to get reps in, and just to just to you know and do it in a very self compassionate way. And when you do that, like all of a sudden the pressure is off, and you're just enjoying the movement. And like you said, um, the the low intensity takes off pressure, but. There's also the idea, like one thing I noticed when I retired was wall balls is probably one of my favorite movements now. And when I was competing, I hated it. But hated now it. I love it because it's so low impact and it's so cyclical and it's so easy to break up and it's so easy to strategize. But back then it was just so hard. Like I couldn't do 150 unbroken and then I sucked and this and that. And then all of a sudden, like you said, like you do things better than you know, it's not to say that everyone that just takes off the pressure is going to go to the games, but when you want to practice, because in our sport, this is also something that doesn't exist, like practice. Wadproof Bionic uses computer vision, motion analysis technology to assess your movement. After completing a series of mobility tests, Bionic analyzes your range of motion and creates a daily mobility plan to help you perform and recover faster than ever. Ready to become Bionic? Download the Wadproof app now. 
Um, when you want to practice something, what you have to do is take the components, develop the musculature around it, develop the movement pattern, um, develop the endurance, but also develop the just overall exposure to the movement. And you do that just by doing reps without, without pressure. Yeah. So some of my favorite pieces to write right now are just like, you know, not for time pieces. Yeah. Like five rounds, not for time, just get it done. Patrick, Ellie, and Freya have not for time pieces, at least for, they have at least six sessions, like six pieces like that mm-hmm. in their week where it's just not for time. And it's like a Metcon, but it's not for time. And, yeah. and Pat told me that he appreciated it. So I'm going to keep doing it. <laughs> and with all this being said, I think that 2021 games was the fittest I've ever seen, Pat. I agree with that. I really do. I think I'd never seen him so good like his energy was good his mindset was good like he just looked happy it was great yeah good to see him compete and even out on the game's floor like the workouts where he should have done well and he should have won he went out there and executed on all those things yeah yeah pat had a pretty clean run this year i mean aside from the swim and the handstand walking he had a clean run like it was a good it was a very good competition Mm -hmm. um it's for sure like like this year is going to change. Like we're keeping the same system, but like this year, Pat is swimming like three times. A week. <laughs> <laughs> but I think honestly, although it's a disappointing, I don't like saying disappointing because I can't be disappointed with Patrick finishing second. Like I can't no. be disappointed with that. But it, like if the goal is to win, it is a disappointing one. But I do think that Pat is the is the kind of person that doesn't take that as an insult to who he is, you know, Pat is an independent and very confident person. So if anyone can, can just look at that and just brush, brush it off his shoulder is Patrick. So I'm not nervous. I, I like, I wasn't nervous for that finish for Pat, but I know that he's gunning for that spot. Oh yeah. 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 One thing and one person we keep mentioning, but I don't think most people know who she is is Freya. Yeah. So you keep saying Freya and people are probably listening and being like, I don't know what's going on right now. <laughs> so tell us a little bit about Freya. Freya is just competed at Wadapalooza yeah. in the elite division. Yeah. So it's Freya Mooseberg. Mooseberger. There's an R before the U. Like in Wadapalooza, they called her Mooseberger, but it's Mooseberger. And, um, she is so Freya. I found Freya because Deca Comp has um, a competition club called the Deca Deca Comp, Comp uh, the Deca Competition Club. Yeah. And um, we started this club to help people get access to hands-on coaching, but it's virtual. It's a virtual club. It's the idea of a triathlon club, but we wanted to you know extend it to CrossFitters. And uh, we have an application for it just to make sure that athletes that are applying for the club have the uh, acquired experience. Mm -hmm. And when I was looking through the applications, I saw Freya's name and I saw her, her her answers and her stats. And, and I was like, wait a minute, who's this? And then, cause she said she completed at the Atlas games and she got to 12th, I think. Yeah. I have 12th at Atlas. I was like, Whoa okay, I'm going to go look into her. And I, I creeped her on, on social media and looked at her results in the open. And, and I was like, man, this girl's got some good potential and she's 
19 years old, like she's 20 now, but when I found her, she was 19 years old. And I was just, I'm going to reach out and see if she's open to having some personal personalized coaching. And she jumped at the opportunity and I jumped at the opportunity and we've been working together for, uh, I'd say about like six, seven months, something like that. And she's just got a ton of potential and she's got a fun attitude and she's, she's very, very gifted and very good all around. She has a background in Highland dancing. So okay. <laughs> if you're not Canadian, you might yeah. not know if this is Canadian or Irish or Scottish. Yeah. She has a background in in Highland dancing and uh, she's got a beautiful attitude, very open to learning, very ready, um, but also very humble. And she's just great. So this past weekend was the first time I actually got to see her compete in person. And it was actually her first ever I said this past weekend, but this past month of January. Yeah. Um, time, you know. Doesn't it feel like it just happened? It, it, like, it, I feel it, like we're just leaving. But um, she was competing for her first live competition at Waterpalooza in the elite division. That to me is the most outstanding thing. Crazy. And she qualified. She won the qualifier. She won the online qualifier. Well, that I didn't know. I, I think she won. She either won or got second, but she she is a force so you know this year the goal is to really test it and see but uh, there's no doubt in my mind that freya is the next thing to come out of canada yeah i mean we're just for a strong female like a like a newer generation i don't want to insult any female canadians out there because they're all very strong like all of them are competing in their like Canada is well represented, but I think she's the new generation female athlete coming um, to the, to the CrossFit games. And I mean, fingers crossed, but I do believe that she, she will be qualifying if not this year, next year for sure. Yeah. I mean, a couple quick stats. She was eighth in Canada in the open 2021. So eighth overall in the, in the open 12th at Atlas, which was the semifinal qualifier. Yeah. And then just at Wadapalooza, she was 10th uh, right behind Emily Rolf. So Emily was 19th, another Canadian. And then uh, uh, Freya was 10th. So, I mean, for her first live in-person competition in a field of 40 women, and it was a pretty deep field of women. Yeah. It's a very level playing field, I think. I think she surprised herself on a lot of the events. And what got me fired up was how – Although she felt surprised at how she was stacking up, she felt like she wanted to do better. And yeah. so she's got a competitor's mindset in that way. She really wants to win and she really wants to be in that top pack. Um, and she's not an attention seeking person. She's not a she, she's not someone that's in it for the wrong reasons, you know? She's, mm-hmm. So I'm really happy to have her um as an athlete, I, I think, uh, I, and the beauty is that she's so kind and Ellie and her got along super well. You know, you never know when you, when yeah. you coach, um, two people of the same, uh, in the same competition, but they got on super well. And it was just really like, I, like the people that I am, I'm lucky enough to coach are just really good people. Yeah, that's actually something that I mean, you didn't have to go through at the games, but now I get you, you know, going into the season, you'll have to experience is um, like Pat and Ellie 
in 2021, one male, one female, yeah. they can help each other out. There's no headbutting there in any way. Yeah. But that that is an interesting dynamic where, you know, if Ellie and Freya both make it to the games, that that could be a thing that you'd have to deal with. Yeah, and and um, lucky for them, I've gone through that as a games athlete with the same coach as Katrin Davis' daughter. Not a lot of people know this. <laughs> but, this is another story. But, um, yeah, um, so I, I know what that could feel like, and I am very hyper aware of that could feel like. And there is nothing I can do to mitigate that. Um, I can't split myself in two. So being open and honest with me, how they feel with me is crucial and me being upfront with them about what I can do is also really important. So it's very, it's, it can become a very sensitive situation, especially if we do end up training together because you know people want to train together, but when people train together, other things happen and it's not yeah. publicly known or it's not, it, no one's gonna post about this stuff, but you, you will feel jealousy. You will feel like you're not good enough because you get beat. You will feel like pressure and you will want to win training. And so that has a lot of effect on both the athletes, even, even if they're very friendly and stuff like that, mm. it, it's only normal. I mean, you're in, you're doing an individual sport and you want to win and you're training with someone that you're going to eventually want to try and beat no matter what. Um, and it's not an insult to anybody. It's not, it's not like Ellie's like, I'm going to beat Freya and Freya's the same, but, but it is a sensitive situation and you just have to be aware of it. Like as a coach, you can't just expect them to, to just like respect each other. Like they, they will always respect each other, but there will always be some kind of internal feeling of trying to compare and trying to win. So I'm aware of that. And, and the goal would be to get them training together so that they can work together and feed off of each other and learn from each other. But it doesn't get to the point where they've been together so long that they start to get used to each other. And then some things can develop that are less positive. So my plan is to get them training together, but not permanently. Like I don't want to yeah. do the camp thing. Like I, I don't gonna bring that up. Yeah. I don't think it's particularly constructive. It depends if it's, it can be well done, but I don't, I don't think that it can be done um, permanently. Like I was just reading about this in a book, um, tutor, I can't remember the book, but um, training camps is really the best option where it's like you, you get, you get the benefits of group training for a, a temporary amount of time. And then you get back into your own space, your own bubble, your own routine, and then you go back and forth. And that's how I used to train. And personally, like when I was training one week was more than enough to get like my feel, my feel of intensity and, and like checks, like just a little bit of a checkpoint kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so but it is it's the the most important for, thing for me is to make sure that they understand that i have limitations in time and they understand that i have um i have everyone's best interest at heart but i can't separate myself into two so the goal would be for the athletes to have um a support system that is not myself so freya has an amazing coach with her her name is kelsey um mm -hmm. and she was with Freya over Wadapalooza and they work extremely well together. And I was very, very happy to have that cushion um, and Kelsey that um, Freya trusts 100% and is used to. So if Freya needs to have a moment of being her, like the ugly competitor, which everyone has, yeah. I've had, Ellie's had, 
Pat's had. And Freya can have that moment with Kelsey and not feel like she can't have it with me. Um, and me and Ellie have gotten a little bit closer so she can get have that moment with me. You know, so just everyone needs to be covered. And just as long as that's planned out, usually things go pretty well. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's an interesting one. And, you know, I got a chance to kind of see their dynamic as well. And it's, you're right, like, there's different levels to these things. And everybody needs their support system. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. Like when I was being coached by Ben Bergeron, he was my coach, but Fred was there with me. My boyfriend, Fred was there with yeah. me every time. And he's the one that I could rely on for strategy because he knew me best. Mm -hmm. And like, I wasn't comfortable enough to have a moment with Ben. I had to have my moment with Fred because I couldn't be myself around Ben. I was too scared to let him down, too scared to kind of like look like the, the like crazy athlete. So the person I trusted the most to be myself was Fred. And so I know what that feels like. So it's important that athletes have that person that they can be themselves and have their meltdowns and feel comfortable and safe. Yeah. And that's such a big thing. Like coaching athletes, you can tell the athletes that you're with who are who have that that relaxation that that can open up to you and and be very private with you. Yeah. And the ones that that can't and and there's a huge distinction there. Yeah, but and it's okay. Like I wouldn't want all of my athletes to be 100% open just to me. Yeah. Cuz that would that would reduce like I would would not be able to cover that kind of ground. But um, some people need it more than others. And it's just, if that's the case, then like if, you, if you're a coach listening to this and you feel like your athlete um, isn't being their 100% self, then that's just a little red flag. Maybe, maybe you're not demonstrating enough openness or maybe that person needs to have someone really close to them to have. Like, so it's not an insult to anybody. It's just a question of comfort. And it all comes down to the athlete and it should never be taken personally when that happens, when you feel like, like as a coach, maybe we, we want to have the trust of the athlete, but sometimes having the full trust could be a bad thing. Like you can get really hurt by, you know, so it, those yeah. are all really sensitive situations. And the key to that is just honesty and setting the expectations with, with the people around you. Oh, I love that. Yeah. We had a uh, a write-in question from a fan, Ooh. and it was, uh, what do you think draws athletes to you as a coach? Did you uh, say who or woo? Say what? Did, did you say who or woo for the write-in question? Like, ooh, that's a good question. It's yeah. funny because I actually asked Ellie that not long ago. Okay. Um I asked her, like, why did she choose DECA or why did you, like, because I was kind of trying to understand how DECA is seen in the, in the competition scene and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And so I asked her and um, Ellie knows me as a coach through James Newbury. Yep. Um, and, but what she, what she didn't know is that Ellie's coach, like back in Australia contacted me to coach her because he was a client of mine. But anyways, this is kind of um, side this, uh, not relevant, but she kind of just told me that DECA was just slightly different. Like it, it just looked like we had more of a athlete first perspective. And I think that stems from my experience as an athlete. And um, I have always wanted to, to have a coach that understood me as a person. And so I think, 
I don't know. I would have to say that what draws people to DECA or myself is I want to say my experience, you know, mm-hmm. like I've been through the athlete thing done in it all. sports, like I've done it. Um, but I also feel like I have an approach that is maybe a little bit more human. Um, but I, I don't like talking about myself like that. So I would like to say my experience. <laughs> so you know who gave me that question? And who's that? It was Pat. Oh, God. And he said, make her talk about herself. <laughs> <laughs> what is Pat? Oh, excuse me. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, he, he gave me some good questions. So I really liked that one. But he's oh, like, yeah, well, maybe she'll talk about herself. Ask Pat that question. I think Pat with Pat and I, people don't know this, but our last year of my last year of competing was his first year at the games, and we trained together at my house. Like he lived with us all summer and we trained together. Yeah. And um, so we got to know each other really well. And we like we got along. And so I think what draw me, what draw him to me was the fact that. I was a little bit cynical, kind of like him. Yeah. You know, you guys are very similar in that way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But I think it's a good match. And I mean, you guys, that was his first games and you guys have kind of stuck it out ever since then. So yeah, something's working, but it's, it is interesting to see you and how you balance out your different athletes and their personalities. Like I've seen, you know, I've been with you a few times to see you work with these different athletes and, um, it, it is interesting and it's nice to see that balance. And um, I mean, every partnership in that way is, is unique, but I think you're right about what you said as a coach is you have that experience. You've been around, you've done all the, all the things, weightlifting, Olympic lifting, triathlon at a high level. I don't know if Did you I say call my triathlon high level. Okay. <laughs> I've done one triathlon. <laughs> we- two, two. I don't know if people would have fact checked that one or not, but, but you've been there and you've done it and you know, you've, you've performed at a high level in the sport and you've been around it to see. And I think that's the difference of some of the camps where they haven't done it themselves. Yeah. And it's important to understand about that though, is that, you know, experience just because someone doesn't have the experience doesn't mean that they're not good. I think where experience comes into play is is really emotional. It's like knowing what a high intensity, high volume training cycle does to you personally. It's it's like um, understanding when people like understanding the difference in this is hard and this is too much in their tone of voice because you know what that's like. Understanding that crying as a female athlete isn't being a baby like like it's how women express disappointment and it's how you know and understanding how men express disappointment that was a big learning experience for me because I don't know if Pat's listening to this right now no no, he's uh, not (laughs) (laughs) I, I text him earlier okay so Pat after his first year of competing um I, ser- I called my boyfriend. And I was like, Pat's never going to want to talk to me again because I didn't understand how Pat expressed some frustration throughout the process. Mm-hmm. And so understanding that women and men are different at, at expressing that, that's where I think the experience is really key. Um, people also 
like creativity is probably one of my strongest suit as a, as a coach. Like I, I'm not a, the, the advantage of being the experienced coach, but not necessarily the academically like educated coach. Yeah. I'm not afraid to kind of break systems, you know, mm-hmm. and I studied art. I studied design. You know, I'm, I think creativity is part of my strong suit. So I, I, I do believe that I, I keep training fun and light. And I know like in the training week or program, I know when to give athletes a little break, you know? So that's yeah. where I think the experience kind of plays. Um, but then on the flip side, the experience can kind of hinder too, because I know what it's like. So if I have athletes coming to me and telling me that they're tired, I'm like, Oh my God, you're right. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, I'll pull it back. But, but I, I shouldn't do that, you know, but sometimes I've caught myself kind of like pulling it back when in reality they, they should be sticking it up. Like they should be getting through it. So yeah, I have to be careful with that experience card. Yeah. Cause you know what that 21, 15, nine is going to feel like. Well, and what that's going to do to you. 18, 15, yeah. Nine, oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair, fair. Yeah. But that's, I mean, that that's an interesting thing to have to balance as well because I think you're right. Like if, with some other sports and that, they've never been in that role, in that position directly. So they don't know that feeling. Yeah. And to be fair, if you look at like Olympic sports, a lot of the Olympic coaches are ex- athletes and stuff like that um but i do think that um like i do think that experience is is super it's super important but even more so self-awareness awareness Mm -hmm. of of like if you don't have the experience being aware of that and seeking out feedback is is just as good as someone who's like do you see what i'm saying like as a coach you just need to be self-aware understanding where your shortcomings are as a coach and where you could be a problem in the equation of, uh, of that process is super important. And that way you can ask feedback. And this is another thing like coaching, asking for feedback from athletes, like in CrossFit, we coach adults. They're all adults. So asking them for feedback is an important part of your job. So and that can can mitigate the experience part. That can also help you, you know, ch- adjust when needed, right? So those are all important attributes to have. It's not just experience. Yeah. And you actually do something cool with your Instagram from time to time, and that's you'll put a video up and ask for cues or or what's going on with this video. Yeah. And I really like that. <laughs> Now, when you read those and you read the comments and the, the answers in that, what are you thinking about building out, you know, like a, some sort of feedback system? Are you thinking about giving a more direct answer to the end? Like, because some of the answers, like I'll go through and read some and I'm like, okay, well, I mean, I know what I'm talking about with some of these things. And I'm like, this is kind of the low hanging fruit answer. That's not the answer. Well, I think that when I do those posts, really the goal, the initial goal of that post was just to kind of trigger coaching cues. And there's no, in coaching, there's no such thing as like, no one has to win those videos. No. Right. Like, it's not about like, this is the answer because I've had people ask me like, was I right? You know? And the reality is, is that like, aside from a couple of things where 
where it's like, geez, I don't know where this person came from, but most of the time, what I try to do is challenge people's um, vision on movement. And so everyone has different perspectives on the same movement. And some people will focus on lower body. Some people will focus on upper body. And some people will focus on speed and other things like that. So to me, it was just kind of like to get people interacting in a coaching world and channel positive comments, yeah. right? Like the I, 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 some of the answers I've gotten, I was like, oh, shit, I never really I never thought about that. You know, and me, mm-hmm. I kind of stopped coaching classes a long time ago and I love, love, love coaching. So I was missing uh, seeing movement and seeing and correcting people and teaching and progressions and stuff like that. So to me, it was just kind of a way to just get some, some comments and some coaching cues and some, just some action on technique because I love it. Yeah. But re- really to me, it was also a way for, if you, I'm glad you're telling me that you read the comments because if you're a coach and you're reading those comments it's a form of research. Like when you look at a comment and you're intrigued in a non-judgmental way, because that would be nice, right? Reading, yeah. reading comments in a non-judgmental way. But when you can do that and you relook at the video, it kind of changes your perception of the movement. And so you'll look at different things and we get caught up. Coaches get caught up in, in a, like we have this like key, right? When we think about the snatch, like my, mm-hmm key in the snatch is um, uh, the way people set up their um, their arms. Like I want to see a really relaxed arm, but a super big chest kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And so to me, when someone doesn't have that position, oh, that lift can miss. That's my like, that's my go-to in the snatch, you know? Yeah. But it's, it's not the end all. So getting, um, allowing someone, myself to get different perspectives on my own personal lifts was, was just a fun way to kind of get people interacting. And I just like to trigger conversation about movement and technique. Like what's, what's amazing about Olympic weightlifting is that one movement is seen so many different ways and it's just, it's just fascinating. So it was kind of my way of interacting, channeling positive comments, getting to see what coaches look at, try and educate coaches, maybe those who are newer and that are looking for, you know, hints and stuff like that like Mm -hmm. quick, easy information. Um, You can go on that and read a bunch of things and just, just have fun with, with that. And I have a ton of videos of me lifting in my past life. So I was like, well, just use that to kind of like, um, I don't know if people think I'm back on the wagon, but (laughs) that's what I wasn't sure of either. I was like, is this a new video or is this? No, no, my arms are not as, uh, (laughs) as big as, as on the videos. I, that was actually my first thought because I knew at, at the time you'd posted, I knew you're doing a lot of triathlon and I was like, yeah. this is a lot of weight, like for right now. Like, yeah, you, I, I, snatched, I snatched 65 pounds for the first time, like this past summer and uh, it felt pretty freaking heavy. <laughs> so I'm planning on getting back into it. Once the gyms open back up again, I'm planning on getting back into it, but don't expect any 200 snatches from me. Maybe, maybe somebody's <laughs> going to motivate you and spark something in you. Uh, maybe you never, you can never say never. That's something CrossFit told me. Exactly. Um, one last thing is, so Ellie, Ellie Turner is with you right now. She's training up in, um, Montreal with you. Yes. Um, 
now that's something too that she's your only real like in-person athlete right now right correct she is she's my only and first since like ever okay and so i mean not to speak for ellie but she's australian yes and she's in the great white north right now in in montreal accommodating or uh, acclimating to what minus 20 right now what what do you got right now we're getting a little bit of a break it's like negative one celsius but when she arrived from miami we had two weeks of like negative 20 yeah like cold and she was actually like she's actually doing really well so thank goodness (laughs) good i think she's a winter person at heart had she seen snow before yeah, she's been to Japan for a like a, a ski trip. Okay. And they have a lot of snow there. So she's seen snow before, but she's never lived through winter the way locals do. And what people if you don't have winter, you don't realize like you have, like the process it is to go outside, right? You put your boots yeah. on, you put your coat on, you put your scarf on, you put your mitts on, you put your hat on, and then you can go outside. And then you get into your car and you're like all stuffy and full of clothes. But then if it snowed, you have to, you know, you have to clean the car. And then if you're really unlucky, oh, my camera. If you're really unlucky, if the snow melted a little bit and then iced again, and then you have to scratch that off. And so there's a lot of little things that, like, she's kind of like, oh, you know. But um, I think the biggest problem initially was her skin because the heating here is so dry. Yeah. So the skin gets really dry. And so that's like a part of winter that no one really thinks about. Like, but apparently winter here is easier to train in because our gyms are heated. And in Australia, the gyms are not heated in the winter. But okay. Yeah. I guess it would be dependent on where she is too, but it can't, it's not that cold there. Dude, it is nine degrees. Like imagine training in a gym that's nine degrees. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, it would just be at nine degrees. Yeah, and it doesn't heat. So, yeah. so um, and I've been in Australia, like in the winter-ish to go to mm-hmm. regionals. I had an athlete out there once. And um, the house that we were in for the, the Airbnb for the for the competition was not heated. I was freezing. Oh, so, I bet you did not expect that. I did not. I had no idea. I was sleeping in T-shirts and like, shorts and i'm like what is going on here and then in the morning i asked i asked brandon and i was like what is where's what's going on like it's so cold and yeah he's like yeah you have to take a heater there's personal heaters to bring with you oh but like actual heating isn't necessarily a thing oh i did not know this, this yeah is- so it is like we we give australians a bad rap for winter but it actually does get cold <laughs> that's funny I, I really had no idea, and that's yeah. – I mean, I, I figured Ellie would have a harder time adjusting going up there, especially yeah. coming you know from my Australia. It's the middle of summer there. The to hard Miami. thing is the Pretty light. Nice. Like, it's, it, that's hard. But uh, it's, every day is getting lighter and lighter, like, for longer, so that's yeah. good. And um, I took her skiing. Like, I cross-country ski, and I took her skiing, and she loved it, so it was nice. Perfect. She's yeah. going to be a – she's an honorary Canadian. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Commonwealth. She's basically my cousin. Yeah, <laughs> that's fair. <laughs> Did is the uh, language barrier thing there for her? Or is it not really a factor? Um, it depends where we are. So in Montreal, like in the city, she, uh, usually she can get around speaking English to people. 
But when we go to areas where Deca is and like other areas on the North Shore, it's a little bit harder for her. But most people, most people are are, are kind enough to understand that she's not from around. But uh, it is a factor, I think. Yeah. For her, anyway, it's a factor. For me, it's like, well, you'll just have to learn. <laughs> Something to do. <laughs> Something to do, yeah. When you're not training, you can yeah. learn this new language. How cool is it that you go train with your coach and then you come back speaking a different language? I mean, she's probably going to pick it up pretty quick. At least parts uh, of it. <laughs> Ellie has a lot of strengths. Language is not one of them. Okay. All <laughs> she, right. she has She has told me this herself. But I think she's better than she thinks. She just needs to practice. Okay. That's fair. I think that's a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Last last uh, question here, again, from our write-in friend. He says, it, the world's full of uh, – the world of sports, excuse me, is full of highs and lows. Yeah. What are your favorite highs during your career, both as an athlete and a coach? I don't know if he was looking for an answer here or not. but uh, My highs as an athlete? for a coach. Wow. I have bad memory. I can't pinpoint one high. I mean, the most fun I ever had competing training was when Pat was there, like training wise. Yeah. But if I were to put a highlight, geez, man, man. Um, actually I have a picture in my office right now of a moment that was very dear. Um, and it was my, it was 2014. And in that year, we were only two to qualify for the games. And I was in the third spot going into the last event. And um, it, it was kind of scary. And uh, my sister was also competing that year. And so that last event, my sister and I were competing on the same floor. And uh, so I ended up beating who I needed to beat to, to make it to the games. And so when, she, when my sister finished that event, um, she, right away, she just crossed the line and looked for me and we had a, we hugged it out. And that was a really, that was a beautiful moment. Erica was my twin competed. Like she was pretty good at regionals. Mm -hmm. And the fact that she made the last heat on that event was really special. Um, but I, gosh, I have so many, beautiful highlights. I just can't pinpoint them. Like I, the one thing I regret is not appreciating more of the time that I've had because the beautiful thing about being an athlete that people don't realize is the opportunity to develop yourself as a person. Like sport is a magnifying glass on human, the human condition. Like, like yeah. the, like he says, the world of sports is highs and lows, and it's just like if you can if you can stay open minded to those kind of experiences, it's just absolutely beautiful. And the lows, I mean, the, I can tell you the lows. Like, um, I think that's a survival mechanism, by the way. Like, the humans only remember lows. <laughs> we don't oh. remember all the positive. We remember the lows. I remember a lot of lows from when yeah, I was when but, I was uh, training and competing. I, my lowest moment was in 2015 and it was the whole games experience there were some good highs in that competition mm -hmm. but the lows were really low like a like severe doubt of what i was doing and who i was and 
why I was doing things. I remember walking away from the Home Depot Center with Fred. We were alone. We I just picked up my name placard and it was the end of competition. And I was I had gone through a heat stroke for that competition. I couldn't eat. I, I didn't sleep. I was just a shell. Mm-hmm. Like and uh, I just remember like in tears, profound tears, telling Fred, like, I can't believe that I trained all year just to get beat up like that. Like yeah. It wasn't even fun anymore. So that's the year I was like, I'm done. I'm I'm done doing this. And so Fred told me to wait because I was still really emotional about everything. And it was a good thing he told me that because he was right. But then 2016 was some of the most fun experiences, fun training moments. Training with Pat was was good. Like so I'd say personally as a as an athlete, but as a coach, I've had so many amazing moments. Like 2018 was a thrill. 2018 was a huge thrill. I had Pat and Laura on the second place podium. Yeah. Both of them. So that was like a thrill, but very intimidating as well. Um, This past year was good, but I've learned that as a coach, you have to live the highs and lows in a very dulled way. You can't, I've had to kind of, get myself a little bit out of those experiences because those belong to the athletes. Like, and if I get too invested in that, then living that roller coaster of ups and downs, it's just, it just keeps me, it just, it, it's too intense for me. So I kind of like pull myself back, but you know, one of the nicest moments as a coach was being at Pat's wedding. Yeah. Like that was really nice. Like, one of the nicest moments with Ellie was during Wadapalooza when she had a really tough event there was just feeling comfortable enough as a coach to be there for her, to comfort her, but also to push her to be better. And that moment was like when all the pieces lined up, if I had had that experience with Ellie two years ago, I wouldn't have reacted the same way. So that little moment of confidence that I had was just an aha moment. That night I went to bed thinking like, I am getting used to these difficult situations and I'm understanding myself and how I react to those difficult situations. And that moment I put myself aside and put my coaching hat on and, and listened to her, told her how it all lined up in a professional way and, and, how she should move forward from it. So that was a very important moment in my coaching career that is very unsung and kind of quiet. Yeah, that that kind of stuff you'll remember, but nobody else has ever, yeah, but nobody that else will very, ever experience. It was very profound because for her, it was a really, really tough moment. And, yeah. you know, I've been there. Mm-hmm. And so it's very hard to kind of like not break down along with, and you have to play that role of strong person without overbearing and without being an idiot and saying like, you could overcome this, you know, you're stronger than that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. So that was a good moment. It's hard. It was a hard moment, but it was a proud moment. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but (laughs) the one thing that just crossed my mind in this situation is you are one of the only female coaches that yeah. are coaching athletes at the level that you're coaching them. And, you know, even from a programming standpoint, I can't think of another major programming, um, you know, with high level or high profile athletes that's led by a female. 
That is true. <laughs> that is a scientific fact. I'm a girl. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I like, yeah, I try to, uh, you know, that's a, we can debate about this topic a long time, but yes, um, I, I can't escape that question and that comment. I can't escape it. It'll always be like that because the world of sport is, it, and this isn't an insult to men, but it is a sport. It is a world that is dominated by men. And we see it a lot too with the Olympics with like the differences and especially team sports, not so much individual sports. I find that individual sports, like the, in terms of athletes, the females and the males are getting good amount of attention, but mm -hmm. um, it's a hard, I don't know how I, I'm still working out how I feel about that comment, you know? Um, I don't want to let my sex play a role in why I'm different. Yeah. Um, I don't want my sex to play a role in in why I'm not solicited or why I am solicited. It, mm -hmm. Like, you know, um, I do think that there are people out there that don't solicit my services because I'm a woman, and I don't think it's intentional. I think it is very ingrained in our way of, of seeing things in sport, in our habits. Yeah. And, and, and I know this because I've been through it. Like when I played water polo, um, I saw the camo team play with a female coach. And I remember thinking to myself, like, that must be weird. Like yeah. I have, I've had that thought. So I know what it's like, but yes, I am there. And I, and, um, it is, it is a fact and it is what it is. Okay. You know? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you're there and, you know, you're telling one of the, the fittest men in the world how to do it. Yeah. And, and something's working. You know, and um, I've always been very honest about the limitation that that brings. You know, mm -hmm. like I've always told Pat that I still struggle to understand the differences and especially strength movements between men and women. Yeah. And there are differences like women oh, can yeah. hit their percentages better than men. Um, yep. or higher percentages and like I forget that and and after five years of coaching Pat I still forget that sometimes you know so th that that's normal like I'm I've I've only ever experienced CrossFit as an athlete through the female loading so I'm only now beginning to get more accustomed to the male loading the male realities and the differences in the you know so that's 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 real but uh, Pat's always been good at kind of reminding me like, Hey, you know, and like he doesn't take personally and we have a very professional relationship in that sense. Uh, but it is a, it is a, that is difficult. And like, and I often get asked like, what does it feel like to be the only female coach out there or to be the female coach to Pat or to be a female? And I've always resented that question because it's like, Man, I don't know what other male coaches get asked. Yeah. But but it would be really nice that people ask me what I do instead of you know the body type that I have, like the yeah. fact that I have boobs or whatever. <laughs> like so I can't like I sometimes I see interviews with um with coaches and I'm like, "Huh, like like, I wonder if they would have asked me or asked me the same questions. And, you know, the other day I was talking to my to my female athletes at Wadapalooza and I got a comment from someone that said I had nice hair. Like, 
dude, like both of my girls just finished in the top 10 and you tell me that I have nice hair. Like, would you have said that if I was a fucking guy? Excuse my language, but that gets me really angry. Yeah, no. So um, it's just kind of like a question that I know is important because I understand that it is different. Yeah. But um, it's like I'm, I am more than just a girl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I I know it's an interesting topic to talk it about because I know that there's a lot of I don't want to say like side eye, but people look at it differently. Yeah. And, and the reality is, Justin, that it is different. I do have a different perspective. I'm a woman, and so I have a different perspective than a man's. But mm-hmm. I am also Michelle, so I have a different perspective than Justin. I am a Canadian, so I have a different perspective than an American. Yeah. And so that's, you know, it, 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 that's what I mean by it is what it is. I'm a girl. I have, you know, I have, a, and there are strengths about being a woman and there are weaknesses about being a woman. And I can understand why more women aren't doing coaching. You know, yeah. you, you have to be very invested and uh, it is hard. Like it is emotionally difficult and, I have not known one woman that doesn't just full on get her emotional self involved in her work when that person is passionate. My sisters are like that. My mother is like that. You know, a lot of um, business female owners are all in. And so being all in as a coach is hard. Like my first couple of years was really hard emotionally. Um, And so I kept asking myself, like, how come, how, how come, how come people do this as a job? It's, it's just, I go to bed at night, like I I wake up at night because my athletes didn't do well. I I have problems personally with an athlete. I wake up at night and like, like how do people do this? And one of the strengths I guess that men may have that women don't is to kind of separate themselves from a situation and they don't take it as personally as women. But I think that that's also part of my strength because I am fully invested in getting my athletes ready and I care about them on a very personal level. Mm-hmm. So is that because I'm a woman or is that because I'm Michelle, you know, like, yeah, no, it's, I mean, I, I've seen you mid competition and how like focus and invested you seem at all times. Yeah. And that's like, I can see it on your face sometimes yeah. and I can see when you're <laughs> relaxed. Very expressive. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I know it's like you're in the zone right there or you're, yeah. You're like relaxed and it's a very, I mean, and this could be all of us, but yeah. when you say you're all in, like, it's very true that I can see it. Like it's, it's like an emotional experience. Yeah. But I do want women to be unafraid of that kind of responsibility because it's not just because you're a woman that you're scared to be responsible for someone's journey. Like when Patrick asked me to coach him in 2016, 2017, I I had severe, severe fear of being responsible for his regression. That's something I think all coaches go through. And I think women in a male, male dominated area would probably go through that in a very intense way. And if there's a girl listening, a woman listening right now and that wants to coach, Jesus, sorry. <laughs> They're clearing the streets of snow and Oh, I thought it's it was sounded like a clarinet or something. It, well, I thought so too, but it's like a bulldozer. Um 
So if you're a female coach out there, just man, like being, being nervous about having that kind of responsibility and getting that imposter syndrome and thinking that, that like that, that you're not ready for that kind of investment, like everyone, everyone. And I have no doubt that if, I don't know, um, like you were to coach Patrick for next year's season, you would feel the same or Ben or Justin Kotler or all of those coaches probably feel some level of fear when they have the responsibility of a high level athlete like that. So being a woman doesn't mean that you're the only one that feels that. Um, so it, it can, it's, it's a very intimidating process, but honestly, I, I do think that, um, we need to see more women. And if there's a reason that I'm sticking to my guns and staying in this field, there, like, there is a big reason for it because I can't let the boys have all the fun. <laughs> I have to be, I have to be there. <laughs> hey, perfect. And we're better for it. <laughs> thank you. Um, on that note, thank you so much. This is super insightful. And I think awesome. that there's so many golden nuggets in this. Oh, that, thank uh, you. I hope people listen. Oh, well, it was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Justin. Um, so before we go, if everybody's looking for you, Michelle, Mich underscore Laton. Yeah. On Instagram and then Decacomp on Instagram as well. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, you can go on our website too, but those are the two major places that you can join me. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. And uh, looking forward to seeing uh, how the season goes. Yeah, me too. All right. Take care, guys. With the Wadproof Pro Experience, you'll get instant access to training programs from some of the best coaches on the planet. From full training programs in the gym and at home to movement-specific programs for weightlifting, gymnastics, engine, endurance, rowing, and more. We have a program that is designed for your needs, whether you are a beginner or a pro. Every training session introduces a series of questions. Am I happy with my performance? Where could I have gone faster? When will I be ready to go again? For Wadproof Pro athletes, also this question. What can I learn from that workout? With a Wadproof Pro subscription, you gain access to a complete training toolbox. From a full-featured exercise log, to side-by-side -side comparisons, to the ability to record your heart rate right alongside your rounds and reps. You have at your fingertips everything you need to learn to make progress, and to go into tomorrow's training more prepared than today's. The best athletes are the best students, and with your Wadproof Pro subscription, you will have in your pocket the education you need to elevate your training and uncover the many lessons that every single workout offers you. Subscribe today so you can get better tomorrow.